Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Gee, who thought this was going to be a bad idea? Oh, wait. Almost everybody. Now, here's the bottom line of this. Out in Madison, you've got a bunch of these crazy people who who do not believe that we should have police. They do not believe that we should have court systems. They do not believe that when people are arrested, they should go to prison. They do not believe when people are arrested before they go to trial that they should be held on bail. You know, the, the type of things, you know, bail that, you know, you get out pretrial release, but it makes sure that you're not going to commit other crimes or that you're going to show up. It, these are the, these crazy left-wing groups that just have this, these various thoughts. Right, now, let's back up for a second. In Dane County, if you get charged with a crime, the odds are overwhelming that you are not going to have to post any sort of cash bail to begin with. In Dane County, about 73%, three out of four of all bail decisions in misdemeanor, felony, and criminal traffic cases resulted in defendants being released on signature bonds. So that means that you do not have to post any cash. It just means that you promise that you will show up. So that's three quarters of all the criminal cases. So can you imagine... Okay, that what what's involved in that one out of every four case where somebody is charged with a crime and and they say they have to post bail. I mean, there's there's obviously a reason why you would have to post bail. Maybe you've got a lengthy prior record. Maybe it's a really serious crime. You know, what whatever. For people charged with misdemeanors alone, that figure is eighty three percent. So almost everybody gets bail in the first place. And if there's some reason you're not getting bail, well, it's it's most likely because there's something significant going on in your record or the crime or whatever. All right, so you have this group out in Dane County called Free the 350. This is a a Madison-based, well, they call themselves a bail and prison abolition movement. All right, gee, what what could go wrong with this? We're going to abolish bail and we're going to abolish prison. Oh, that's a really good idea. So, what this group has done, and it's it's a it's there, there's six or seven individuals or, or quote unquote social justice organizations, and what they have done is over the course of about the last year or so, what they have done is they've taken hundreds of thousands of dollars and they have posted bail for people who cannot otherwise, who, who have cash bail. Now, again, keep in mind, three-quarters of the people don't have to post cash bail anyway. So you're talking about a, a relatively small number of people that get bail in the first place. So this group has bailed out 70 people from jail since last May. So it's about a, a year. Well, all right, the, the results are, are now in. Now, on average, nationwide, they find that there's about 15% of people who, who violate their conditions of their bail. That, that's nationwide. All right, so this group of left-wing social justice activists ponies up the money. They bail 70 people out of jail. Of those 70 people, get this, 25 people, more than a third, of the people who were bailed out by the social justice group have been charged with crimes or municipal violations while they're out on bail. 
108 felonies, 49 er- and 49 misdemeanors or municipal code violations. Most common was bail jumping <laughs> related to violations of the terms of their release, including, I would guess, not showing up when they were supposed to. But other other charges. So people that this left wing, so these left wing social groups go and bail out um, have been charged with things like recklessly endangering safety, weapons charges, car theft, armed robbery, narcotics possession and strangulation or suffocation. Huh. So you've got these left wing social groups that are ponying up all this money. They are bailing out people because they don't believe in the bail. They don't believe there should be bail. They don't believe in the prison system. And what they are doing is at an alarmingly high rate, you know, over a third, a third of the people or more of the people that they are bailing out are either not showing up or they are committing serious crimes. I mean, you want to talk about a plague on the neighborhood. These social justice groups are contributing to it. And then, you know, when they, they reach out, the media reaches out and says, well, what, what do you have to say about this? Nobody's returning calls. Kind of, well, humming, humming. We, we, don't, we don't like bail, but we're not going to stand up and we're not going to justify the decisions that we have made in bailing out people, which have made it much more dangerous for the community. And I bring this up because can you imagine what would be happening if, if, if some of these initiatives really got traction and, and you did see the, okay, we're, we're going to do away with any form of, of cash bail. We're not going to allow people to be held pretrial. Or alternatively, you go to the crazy extreme of, hey, we're, we're, we're going to do away with prisons. We're not going to incarcerate people anymore. Can you imagine the escape from New York type of thing that would be going on in a community that would do that. And this is just a little bit of an indication. If you want to see the story, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to it. All right. As I said in the intro, uh, Joe Biden uh, addressed uh, a limited number of people in Congress yesterday and he addressed the nation. The, the basic takeaway from Biden's remarks are, remember when, when you know Ronald Reagan and then subsequently Bill Clinton talked about how the era of big government is over? Well, Biden has completely and totally reversed that. The era of big government is back. Biden is rolling out program after program after program, which will be cradle to grave. Big government will take care of you. Things that historically we have expected people to do for themselves and their families, that is now off the table. The government, meaning through the taxpayers, will now take care of you at all these different elements of your your life. And the idea is, once we start these social programs and once we put them into place, there's never going to be any way that you can go back again. I want to talk about a couple of the programs specifically, and we're going to do one an hour and then do a lot of other stuff during the program. But for this hour, one of the things that President Biden rolled out yesterday is his belief that it is time to have the taxpayers fund universal pre-kindergarten for all three and four years old, universal preschool. And in this case, it would be an enormous uh, amount uh, of money to essentially provide what would be, and I don't, I don't mean to minimize preschool, but it, it, let's, let's understand what's going on. It, it is effectively daycare for three and four year olds. So the idea would be, you know, now if you if you have a child three and four years old, you, you do not have an obligation 
to, to stay home and take care of the kid. You don't have an obligation to you know pay for daycare for the kid. What we're going to do is we're going to have the government provide in the guise of universal preschool, we're going to have the government provide daycare for children. The other interesting aspect of the Biden proposal is that this isn't means tested. This is it's not based on on income. So if you are a doctor in New York who makes, I don't know, two million dollars and lives in a penthouse on Park Avenue, you're, you're the taxpayers will provide for your three year old to go to the universal preschool the daycare center, or, you know, somebody who's, again, you know, on the poverty line will be able to do that. This is massive government spending. Along with that comes a a commitment to hire more and more child care workers, and they will start at $15 an hour and go up from there. Massive spending to take care of people's three- and four-year-olds. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand on one level the appeal of this. Look, I, I, I get it. If you've got, if you've got kids, you, you, you know, dealing with child care is an issue. And, you know, candidly, daycare is an expense. I, I understand that. And if the taxpayers, if everybody else is going to pick up the tab for your, chi- your three-year-old's daycare under the guise of universal preschool or, again, whatever you want to call it, I, I understand where that has an appeal. It, it's saving you money. The question becomes, though, is this really the responsibility of the government? Should we be paying for child care effectively under the guise of education for any three-year-old? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you have no responsibility for, for your kids? And is it even good to take three-year-olds out of the home and to send them off to school. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, I mean, there was a lot to digest in Joe Biden's remarks last night. I want to kind of break them down into things. Right now, his proposal is universal three and four K quote preschool, which it's daycare. Let, let, let's just understand. I understand you can put in a couple teaching components to it, but it, it is effectively childcare. It's nice because, well, you know, if you're parents, now you don't have to worry about daycare anymore. You know that the government will take care of that, but there is a huge cost. And for people out there, I mean, is it your responsibility? How much payment do you have to do for other people's kids? Um, let's see, Jeff, it's people's rights to have as many children as they want. However, it is not my obligation to support them. Um, Jeff, why should you wait to get kids indoctrinated in the left-wing thinking when they start to go to first grade? Let's start them early. Well, you know the government is going to have the curriculum. Jeff, all these programs assume the evil rich will pay for it. The rich will not just sit back and watch their taxes and capital gains go up and not take steps to move their money. Funding will come up woefully short. Well, that's that's the ultimate reality of this and um, th- this idea that, that okay, it, it's, we're only going to be able to soak the rich and we're going to generate trillions and trillions of dollars for spending. Okay, that, that is a pipe dream. Jeff, in, is, socialism, is socialism, he wants to pay for everything government-wise so everybody lives off the government. Yeah, th- this is, this is a, a president who was, at least in my opinion, elected to be a, a calming factor because people were upset with the chaos of Donald Trump. And, and now what he's talking about, this, this is FDR stuff. This is great society type of stuff. This is this is a massive return to big government, cradle to grave um, 
stuff. <clears throat> so that's it. And again, one of the things that, that's important to mention here is in this particular case, it, it's not like I say, it's not limited to like low income people that this isn't that this is we're going to provide this for everybody. So uh, I think a reasonable question should be, why are the taxpayers of this country? If somebody is making half a million dollars, why should the taxpayers of this country be responsible for paying for the child care for that person? I mean, can't you afford your own child care? Gianni and Montello. Gianni, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, hey, uh, I, I listened to the president's um, address last night, and yeah, uh, he seems to be going um, really off off the uh, you know the the fiscal uh, charts here, the financial charts. How are we going to pay for all this? I, I just don't see how that's happening. You know, the government has it. You know, has already incurred a significant amount of debt over the last uh, several decades, and to pay for this. I'm not sure, Jeff, that it's it's really necessary. Do we need uh, universal daycare? I, I, I don't I don't know, Jeff. You know, we're having fewer kids um, these days, so you know, I, I think this is um, you know going down a fiscal road that we really can't afford. No, you're, we can't figure out how, and I think it's just it's flat out unsustainable. Um, Jeff, I live in Germantown. I work for a very wealthy family here who has three children, and all of them have gone to preschool since they were three. It is ridiculous. If people in their tax break bracket want to get free health child care by having uh, by having free preschool, why can't we just work on helping the poor people if they need child care or preschool? It truly lacks any common sense. Jeff, what happened to the mindset of working hard and trying to get ahead on your own? Well, that okay, that, that's not where we're are now right now we are at a point where it is the era of big government you need the government to take care of you from you know cradle to grave um jeff this is a really good deal since those same parents are receiving 300 dollars per month per child from the government starting in july um yeah okay that's it jeff i voted in 2020 to get trump out hadn't voted in the prior three elections biden has gotten a handle on covid19 and calmed down the chaos trump encouraged now it's let's give away the store praying for some common sense heck no stop with the freebies on the backs of everybody right i think see and that's how i kind of look at the election it wasn't so much gee we love joe biden and we were voting in mass for that this massive reorganization of social programs and and leanings towards socialism and cradle to grave stuff and and let's have the government take care of all the needs i think people were voting for for calm people were upset with the chaos and you know i understand you can agree with me or disagree with matt but this wasn't a mandate for let's completely turn society on my my head. Jeff, this has been done in China and Russia and with something um, other people have proposed. State controls children, raises them the government way. Jeff, if people can't afford kids, they, they shouldn't have them. Well, I, I guess I, I agree and, and disagree with that, but I do think that there's some degree of responsibility that you have to have. So, I mean, there's the situation. I got a text from somebody, how dare you call three-year-old preschool daycare? I, I, I concede. There is a learning component to it. I'll, I'll concede that. But at the same time, let's understand what this primarily is. It's a place where you can drop your kids off and you don't have to then take the responsibility of paying for them. It is the state 
providing that starting essentially at the age of three, you know, we're going to take care of your kids. And it's one of the texters making. Plus, we're going to send you all sorts of checks based on how many kids you have. You know, don't worry. We're going to take care of you. Um, Again, what's going on with all this? Jeff, you're absolutely right. Oh, there should be no public education until eighth grades when kids are old enough to take care of themselves. No, nobody's saying that. But let's understand what's going on here. If that is the argument, it would be, and and this is it. I, I get there's people out there. This is the philosophy. The government takes care of your kids, and the government will take care of all your responsibilities. You you get, you know, you you have the child, and then we're going to have the government pay you. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. We're going to have the government, you know, essentially pay you for your parental leave. And then we're going to have your government subsidize you until the kids are at two. And then after they hit three, then what we're going to do is we're going to have the government take care and pay for school. Let's. Th- this is what the plan is. You don't have to be responsible anymore for your children. All you have to do is, I mean, again, do what you want, and the government will take care of that. Um, Jeff, to calm down the chaos, did any of you people who voted for Biden read and listen to what he was going to do? Well, I don't think a lot of people who voted for Biden really voted for this type of major transformation of society, but now you're going to get. Uh, Jeff, this isn't going to be popular, and I could not be more opposed to this idea, but if I make over $400,000 and I'm paying for everybody else's kids to go for free in daycare, my kids should be able to go for free since I am paying for that. Well, that's kind of what the argument is. I just don't believe that if, if you think that this is they're going to generate all the revenue they're talking about generating from merely we're going to do away with capital gains tax, and that's not going to have any consequences or increase the capital gains tax, and we're only going to increase the rate for people making $400,000 a year. So what do you care? Everybody else gets the free stuff. If you think that is really going to be the case, again, make sure you duck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck. Okay, coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk about a different aspect of the Biden government takes care of you from cradle to grave approach. Lots more before that, though. Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One final thought on this, um, and one of our texters, Aaron, makes the point. Jeff, the government already has the Head Start program. No need to expand for people who make enough money to pay for their own preschool program. Interesting point. And let me just read you a very brief section of a Wall Street Journal editorial today. The White House talking points pitch this in the smothering love of the welfare state. Making care affordable, free medical and family leave. We'll talk about that later. Free education, two years of universal preschool, invest in the care workforce, subsidies and millions of new caregivers, all licensed and unionized, will nurture you through the challenge of earning a living and raising a family one question to ask is haven't we tried this before what is head start if not government preschool education and child care weren't school lunches in the women's infants and children programs supposed to prevent child hunger food stamps welfare checks child care subsidies and a supplement to the earned income plus public housing weren't all of these programs and more from previous decades supposed to end poverty why did the trillions of dollars spent on these programs fail and if they didn't work why do they need more? Well, yeah, I think that's a real interesting question. I mean, we, we, you've got Head Start. You've got all these different programs. Why do you need more than that? And it's because, well, they think they have the opportunity to do it. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
The Greater Milwaukee International Car and Truck Show is back. It's a car enthusiast paradise featuring hundreds of the latest cars and trucks. We take you inside the Wisconsin State Fair Park for all the sights, sounds, and smells. Tune in next Wednesday, May 5th, for a special Wisconsin's Afternoon News with the Greater Milwaukee International Car and Truck Show. Always one of my favorite, favorite events. All right. I sent out a tweet. Again, if you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I sent out a tweet yesterday which underscores the the fact something as I always say elections have consequences all right if 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 Donald Trump had run a, a better campaign Joe Biden would not be the president we wouldn't be having some of the conversations we're having now if in my opinion Donald Trump hadn't been such a sore loser oh Jeff how can you say a sore loser yeah and and, and understood the importance of what was going on in Georgia and instead of whining about, gee, all the Republicans in Georgia and don't go out to vote because it's fixed and costing Republicans two U.S. Senate seats in Georgia. If it wasn't for Donald Trump's actions there and elections having consequences, you know, we we, we wouldn't be dealing with a 50-50 U.S. Senate and Joe Biden figuring out ways to essentially remake the great society and do it on the backs of of taxpayers. So elections have consequences. There there is a classic example of that locally. And I, I sent out a tweet for this. Elections have consequences, and those consequences are often bad. And the decision by City of Milwaukee voters a couple years ago to replace longtime city attorney Grant Langley with a guy named Tierman Spencer is destined for the Hall of Fame of staggeringly bad decisions. And this was an example where City of Milwaukee voters just had an absolute hissy fit. And now you essentially messed yourselves over. Grant Langley was the long-serving city attorney. I think he was in for like three decades. He, he was a, and Grant was, was a solid, reasonable guy, knew the inner workings of government, gave good advice and things of the like. He, I, I think it sent signals that he w- was not going to run again and then kind of changed his mind at the last moment. So there was another candidate, Vince Bobbitt, who longtime fixture in city government, worked in the city attorney's office. Vince Bobbitt ran. And Bobbitt lost in the primary because it was Grant Langley and it was this Tierman Spencer guy who nobody had heard of. You know, no, nobody around the city had, had heard of of him, but he kind of rode in on the coattails of, oh, okay, here we're going to try to you know, capitalize on on you know various voting blocks and things like that. And and Grant Langley too. He, I mean, I think he ran an uninspired sort of campaign, but it was more like, okay, we're you know we're we're just going to have a hissy fit and we're going to we're going to toss out Langley. So now you have this guy who is completely and totally unqualified. This is the man who's been the subject of harassment complaints by people in the office. Remember this was the ruling where he said, "Well, he's an elected official, so we can't really do anything about this." He's uh, the stories just go on and on. The story of the day before yesterday was about how people in the in the city attorney's office are just bailing. He was sworn in over a year ago. 13 staffers have already left the city attorney's office, including, you know, two of his his top deputies. They're they're just bailing. They're going back to their last jobs. And, you know, and this is on the heels of the the Sterling Brown settlement offer and some of the comments that he made. These are on the heels of the harassment allegations. The guy is a train wreck. 
an absolute train wreck. But, you know, for people who send me the notes and complain, and I know there's complaints that, like, for example, the police union have filed against him with, like, the legal authorities, I take no position on that other than to say elections have consequences. And when voters have hissy fits and decide, okay, or... Or it's like, gee, we're we're just going to vote for we're going to vote for the judge, the Milwaukee County judge that wasn't appointed by Scott Walker, not because that judge isn't qualified, not because that judge is is not doing a good job, but because he's appointed by Scott Walker. So we're going to vote for the other person, even though the other person doesn't live in the county, and now the other person subsequently gets well accused of kitty porn and things like that. This is what we're going to do. Because we're not going to look at qualifications. It's just this was somebody appointed by the evil Scott Walker. Or, you know, Grant Langley's been around for a while. Let's just let's just change. And then you see what can happen when you change for the sake of change. When we come back, it's on. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line yesterday. Officials announced that the 2021 Wisconsin State Fair is on at a time where other ethnic festivals and other get togethers have been canceled. The state fair says we're going to do it August 5th to the 15th. You know, people will be returning to the state fair grounds. They have not announced the full parameters of this, you know, what what the rules are going to be. But number one, I am glad, I'm thrilled to see the state fair returning. Number two, I am going to have no problem working from the state fair if management decides that we're going to be back there, and I certainly hope we are. And number three, I have no problem attending the state fair, you know, on some of my off times. And I will do that regardless of what the rules are that they put in place. On top of that, we're already starting to see more and more people are getting vaccinated. The CDC, which is way behind where the science really is on this, is now saying, okay, well, you know, you you, you can get together outside. Now, they're still saying, you know, don't be around large crowds, even though they can't really give you an explanation as to why vaccinated people shouldn't be, especially in an outside setting, around large crowds. And I would argue there's no really good reason in science why, once you've been vaccinated, you can't be indoors as well well because the odds of you getting COVID are so, so very remote as to almost be non-existent. But the bottom line is, they don't know what the protocols are going to be. Hopefully, they are not going to limit attendance. Now, in 2019, the State Fair drew about 1.1 million people over its 10 or 11 day run. I don't think, I don't think you're going to get that many people because I think that there's going to be some people who still aren't going to be willing to go into crowds. But I'm going back, and I am excited by the decision that they are going to have the state fair. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you ready to head out to the fair? My answer is I, I definitely am, and I hope, 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 hope that they don't put on so many restrictions to take all the fun out of it. I hope they don't limit the attendance. I hope they don't say, well, we're not going to have a midway. I hope they don't say, okay, we're going to um, limit the number of people who can go into the cream puff pavilion, or we're going to have strict limits on the number of people who can go into the giant craft barns and stuff like that. By August, I think it should be at a stage where, you know, it's time to get back to normal. And if people don't feel comfortable in that setting, well, that's okay with me. Then then don't go. Wait until next year. But isn't it time to get back to normal? Isn't it time to get back to the state fair? And are you reluctant to do it? 
for me, I'm there. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Jeff, I met you at the State Fair four years ago. Needless to say, I was starstruck. Well, that's very kind of you. You have a, the, the texter may, may, maybe has a, has, you know, we, we need to upgrade, you know, who, who stars are. But, yeah, I, I, I love the fair. And if you've ever come out when I'm working, I try to go out, drives my producer crazy because he's back here doing all the jobs. And it's like, okay, Jeff, we need you here. We're starting in a minute. And I'm out there talking to folks and passing out schedules and all. I am enthusiastic about doing it. I am ready to go back. Jeff, as long as you don't have to wear masks, I will be there there as often as possible. Well, by August, there is no reason in God's green earth for people to have to wear masks outside. I would argue there's no reason to do that at this point in time based on the follow the science. More importantly, inside, maybe that's going to be the compromise. Maybe they'll say, okay, when you go into the the craft barns or whatever, you know, you're going to have to put on a, a mask. But but hopefully they'll reach an accommodation with that regard. Jeff, I wonder how the neighborhood around State Fair feels and if parking will be an issue um, with all those yards being used for parking. Well, I'm, I, I'm, I, I can tell you, I am sure the neighbors around State Fair are absolutely thrilled by this because they generate a lot of revenue through that. Jeff, vacation days are scheduled. We'll probably be there half the days. Won't wear a mask even if required. But other than that, I am very, very excited. Jeff, absolutely I'll go. And I'm not vaccinated, nor will I be. It will be. I have no fear. And even if masks are mandatory, I'll wear one in and then take it off. Well, that is that is sort of the issue. I, I'm hoping that, that soon we, we recognize the reality that as more and more people get vaccinated, that the, the chances of, of getting or giving COVID indoors or outdoors are slim to none. And that, that's just what the numbers show. And so as more and more people start to say, look, there, there's no reason in science why I should be continuing to wear the masks. I, I'm hoping that finally our, our elected officials and the, the, the people that rule us recognize that, you know, if you follow the science, nobody can give a really good explanation for this. And, and keep in mind, we're already here. It's the end of April, May, June, July. So you've got another three months if things continue. Continue, and if things continue to get vaccinated, you know, maybe you can do the state fair in a completely maskless fashion. Um, Jeff, I'm ready. I'm minutes away from receiving my second dose of Moderna vaccine. I will see you there. Well, that's great. I and I, I, I love that's actually from one of our reliable left wing listeners. I will love that, Jeff. I'm with you. It's time for people to get your vaccine if they haven't already. Um, we need to have this option to attend, right? And at some point in time, and I've been making this argument. I understand. I'm on my soapbox. I, I get like all the different restrictions and the mask rules when people couldn't get vaccinated. But now that everybody who pretty much wants to have a vaccine can get one. That the justification for these restrictions is going out the window, especially since we know that for the vast majority of people, the vaccines work. What's the breakthrough thing? Seven out of a million. I'm, 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 I'm sorry. That's like that's like saying, well, I'm not going to change light bulbs because every once in a while there's a chance that you might get a minor shark, a shock. Jeff, I'm excited that State Fair is back as well. I'll be reluctant to go without a good plan in place. Outside is fine, but I have to think twice about entering crowded facilities. Well, that's that's all well and good, too. I mean, there there will be people who I think will make the decision that I, I'm still I'm not comfortable being in, in these groups. And, and I, I respect that. Nobody's going to hold a gun to your head and say that you have to go. But, I mean, keep in mind, OK, this is going to be early to mid-August. Then, then you've got. 
You got Lambeau Field. You got the Packers that are going to be opening up after Labor Day. I mean, it is it's outside. Isn't it time to say by that point in time, everybody who's had the, wanted the vaccines had the opportunity to get it. Those that have decided not to get it, well, they're they're going to take whatever risks they're going to take. But now it's time to resume life as we know it. And for the idea of, well, we're going to have these mask rules, again, just just, just watch these baseball games on TV. I mean, n- nobody's paying attention to this. And, and you know, I know the ushers have a, a task of trying to enforce these different rules and could you wear a mask. But, but people recognize that it, we're past that, especially once you've been vaccinated. Um, Jeff, I take the freeway flyer to State Fair. Wonder if they will limit the number of riders well, you would hope not by that time, but the uh, person says, regardless, um, I'm going. Jeff, I can't wait to go. I've already blocked the time on my calendar. Jeff, will the horses and cows be required to wear masks? Certainly hope not. Jeff, we will be there and we'll be happy to buy you a beer. No mask, I hope. Well, that's the other thing, outdoors. I mean, it's just, you know, there's no reason as you're walking around outdoors to impose a, a mask requirement. There's just not. And it's not practical because you go to State Fair and, and you graze. That's how they, they make their money. Bottom line is I was thrilled by this news. I was really, really afraid that State Fair would say, okay, well, we're, we're, we're going to give in. We just don't think we can pull this off. And by the way, this is not a criticism of some of the ethnic festivals that have made the decision that we can't do it this year. I, I understand that there's a lot of uncertainty that's there. It, there's a lot of preparation work that goes in. And for these ethnic festivals in particular, th- that uncertainty, well, gee, what if we have this and nobody comes? I, I don't believe that's going to be the case, but I get it. But I, I hope I think this is a very good start. There is no reason why state fair should not happen, and there's no reason why it should happen with not happen. And if when it happens, there should be little or no restrictions that are put on. You have the sanitation statements and things like stations and things like that. And I hope this is good news for Summerfest because if they can do it at state fair, they can do it at Summerfest. Big challenge for Summerfest is going to be providing and finding the entertainment as bands cancel the shows. Very, very good news. State Fair 2021 is on, and I hope to see you out there. And this is Jeff Wagner. There are heroes among us who run toward danger rather than away from it. We call them first responders. WTMJ is partnering with Waterstone Bank, IndyCar Rev Group Grand Prix at Road America, and Heiser Automotive. We're honoring police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others who work every day to protect our families and loved ones. If you know of a first responder that deserves recognition for their duties, text the word SERVICE to the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620 or go to WTMJ.com. The deadline for your submission is May 7th. It's Waterstone Bank's salute to service on WTMJ. Well, all right, you want to talk about a mess. Now, earlier on, I was talking about the disaster that is the Milwaukee City Attorney. And, you know, you, you can add the Clown Car Act that is the ca- the Common Council into this the, and the Fire and Police Commission. You put all these things together and you've just got a, a, a trifecta of bad judgment and incompetence. And, and the latest example, you're seeing it play out with former Milwaukee police chief Alfonso Morales. And I'm on record as saying I think Chief Morales is probably the finest Milwaukee police chief that the city had um, for decades and he was run out on a rail by the Fire and Police Commission. They did it in a fashion that I think everybody pretty much agrees was illegal, and he he sued. 
he sued, and the, the city of Milwaukee um, has, has just essentially re- refused to, despite the fact that they're losing right and left on the different legal issues, they denied him due process. They pretty much re- refused to settle this case and pay him what he's deserved. So now, um, he, he's through his attorney, he's demanding that he be reinstated to his position, vesting him in all his former powers with the same salary and benefits he had prior to when the uh, Fire and Police Commission acted out in August. And he's seeking attorney's fees, lost income, etc. The bottom line of this is this this is not a frivolous claim this is serious he is going to be collecting one way or another a huge amount of money and again it's because of the incompetence of the city on so many different levels at some point in time one situation after another i wonder when the taxpayers of the city of milwaukee are going to rise up and say you know we, we get the government we elect but this government that we have elected on so many different levels are just a bunch of incompetence, and we're sick of paying for one mistake after another. When will that happen? Who knows? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. My wife teases me every once in a while. She'll say, well... You, you, you read all these texts, and we, we get a, a ton of texts, uh, hundreds of texts in a given day, which is great. It's a way that you can have to respond to the show. And says, some of these people are like, really nasty, and why, why do you read them? And, and Because that is a very small percentage of the overall number of texts. And so why, why do you read them? Some people who hate the show but listen anyways. And I said, well, just to kind of give it overall perspective. But every once in a while... There, there's texts that come in that kind of balance that out. And, and most of the texts and most of the emails are, are very nice because, in, in general, if you don't like a particular program, most people just don't listen to it. Um, but there is a certain subgroup who just has to listen and has to be upset. But, okay, so here, but here's, here is the email that made my day today, Gruel. Jeff Wagner. Just a note, letting you know how much I enjoy your show. I've been an avid listener for over a decade. In that period of time, I've missed less than five shows. I cringe when you crit- criticize from the far left and the far right on the same topic, which happens occasionally. Hang in there with your new car. See, I'm up to date on your latest escapades. In fact, I scheduled my heart surgery yesterday at 3 o'clock p.m. so I wouldn't miss a second. Little did I know that you were replaced by the Brewers game. Hang in there. You make my day. And that's from Bob, who signs himself as a former Milwaukeean and my biggest fan in Luxembourg, Wisconsin. And my note to Bob was, Bob, you have absolutely made my day. Thank you so very much for reaching out and for listening. And by the way, I hope the medical procedure went well. But that's, that is true. That is true dedication from a fan that they schedule their heart surgery after the program ends. Bob, you're my kind of guy. Don't go anywhere. And, and then I feel bad because, like I say, I was off uh, the other day. Oh, by the way, people, if you've been listening the last couple of days, I have this new car and the battery kept dying. I think we've solved the problem. Pick the car up uh, the other afternoon, and they diagnosed the problem as defective software. So they replaced my battery, gave me, they did all these software updates, and knock on wood, so far, so far, no problem. So... You know, I, I and when I went on the internet and checked all this stuff out, that's what they said. They said, "Well, there's, you know, in this particular car, sometimes you need a software update." So I got all these different software updates, got the car back, and so far I have not been stalled anywhere. 
What do you think, Rue? Is that going to work? Think they've solved the problem? Uh, I mean, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> you'd think the, with a brand new car there wouldn't be issues, but there's always something, it seems. Yeah, well, and I, again, I was, I was, I'm on the internet. A little bit of stuff is dangerous, and and there were other people that were saying that they had had the problem. Not, not a lot, but one of the fixes was, you know, you do these various software updates, and um, then they said the problem's gone away. So all I know is they've done the software updates. And, and they've done it. I was very, I was very impressed with the dealership that I bought the car at, and so I'm very, very happy with this right now. And yes, you know, I'm going to the Brewers game tonight. If I get stuck at Miller Park tonight after the Brewers Dodgers game, you know, maybe I'll have a different attitude tomorrow. But right now, I'm, I'm thinking it's working. All right, uh, we're, we're breaking down the Biden speech, and I'm, I'm not. I'm not spending like the whole program on it, but there's all sorts of interesting proposals. And what I want to do is talk about some of the proposals in in the last hour. We discussed the universal three and four year old daycare slash, you know, pre-kindergarten programs, which to me have an educational component, but it's essentially taxpayer paid for for daycare. Now, it's got an appeal to people because and you don't have to pay for daycare otherwise. But we, we discussed that. All right. What I want to do in this uh, segment of the programs. I want to talk about one of the other aspects of the Biden proposal, and that is 12 weeks of paid leave. Now, one of the centerpieces of the, the Biden proposal is to take, they estimate it's going to cost about 225 B as in billion dollars over the next 10 years. What Biden would like to see happen is that every worker in, in America would essentially be guaranteed on an annual basis, an annual basis, up to 12 weeks of paid leave. Now, right now, under the law, the the FLMA law, what happens is for certain qualifying conditions, you are entitled to to take time off, but it's not required to be paid for. Now, some employers have a paid leave policy, and that makes them a desirable sort of employer. Many, many don't because they figure we can't afford it, etc. They figure there's all sorts of other consequences. What Biden's plan would do is say on a yearly basis, workers would be entitled, guaranteed 12 weeks of paid leave. Um, You could use it to bond with a new child, to care for an ill loved one, to deal with a military employment, to find safety from sexual assault, stalking, or domestic violence, to heal from your own serious illness, to take time to deal with the death of, of a loved one. All those and, and perhaps some other categories as well, which on, on the one hand all sound d- desirable. I mean, you could understand why you wouldn't have to, to want to go into work to do that. Um, Biden would also say that uh, you could get up to three days of bereavement leave paid for your employer as well. Workers could get up to $4,000 a month during their leave, and at least two-thirds of your average weekly wages would be replaced. So up to $4,000 and up to two-thirds of your average weekly wages. This, again, it, it's, it's a nice sort of thing. I mean, there, there's no question about it. But the question becomes, should this be something that the taxpayers are funding? And what are the consequences of doing something like this for employers? And every year, 
if if you do something like this, what do you want to bet that on a yearly basis there is a section of the the populace that's going to I don't know find a justification for this eight five five six one six one six twenty that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I I think paid family leave is a great benefit. Don't don't get me wrong. I think it is something that would make you know it attractive for employers to offer and would make it, gee, if you're looking at a job and you're choosing between two different places and one place is offering you, hey, I, I've, you know, my, my wife's due to have a baby. That's that's great. And I can take 12 weeks off and get paid for it. I mean, that would make it more desirable to want to work at one place as opposed to a place that, that doesn't have that sort of leave policy. But should the taxpayers be paying for it? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer, no. What do you think? We discuss in a minute. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, if Joe Biden gets his way, the taxpayers will be spending hundreds of billions of dollars to provide workers with up to 12 weeks a year of paid leave. And this is, by the way, annual. And you could use it to bond with a new child, care for an ill loved one, deal with a loved one's military deployment, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, at at some point, look, I understand an employer that has a paid leave policy, I, I get where why it has an appeal that that's a nice sort of thing but at the same time i don't know do the taxpayers have an obligation to pay for that and and what are the unintended consequences here's a text jeff three months no work that's insane how do you run a company like that let alone get everyone in the company off without being short-staffed on top of already huge shortages Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's a a very, very fair question. Where are you going to get the replacement workers? Where is the money going to come from? And again, part of this, the Biden proposal is let's soak the wealthy. That's it. And we keep going back to that that same thing. Well, you know, we're going to be able to soak the wealthy and they're going to be able to pay for all this type of stuff. You know, good luck with that. If you do the math, it just doesn't add up. And they're looking at payroll taxes. I mean, some people are saying you increase the payroll tax just like an unemployment fund. Well, okay, that's going to... That's going to have all sorts of effects as well. Jim in Oconomowoc. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I feel the boats will be full of manufacturing equipment leaving this country. Manufacturers, companies of all kinds will get out of here as fast as they can. Because well, of well, because of the costs going up, you think? Sure, sure. All the free stuff. Who's going to pay for all the free stuff that these people are getting? Nothing is free. No, no, no. You're you're right. That that's the idea. It's right. We we say it is free, but what we mean is that the taxpayers are going to pay for it. Or in this case, it's going to be taxpayers, and it's going to be I think employers, because there'll be some fashion, just like the the unemployment tax that you hit the employers. Sure. There's going to be a payroll tax yeah. as well. Sure. And the employers are not going to take it. They're just going to leave. Um, well, there. Th- th- I mean, yeah, I no. I mean, I think. I mean, I think it, it. You reach a point where it becomes impractical to do that, especially when it's it's a mandatory sort of situation. Because you know, if you make it mandatory, you know that there's going to be a certain segment of the workforce. And thanks for the call, Jim. There's going to be a certain segment of the workforce that's going to be figuring out how can I do this every year. I mean, oh gosh, if I can, and, and it, it doesn't fully replace your income. It replaces your income um, up to two thirds of your income, I believe, uh, up to four thousand dollars. So, for, right for for some people, 
especially some of the high wage earners, it, it, it doesn't make up for that money. But again, if you're at a certain point, let's say you do a job, you're, you're in a job that you don't like. This is sort of like the whole employment argument. You're, you're in a job that you really don't like, that you consider it to be sort of a dead end type of job. And if you're told, hey, I can get 12 weeks, 12 weeks a year of essentially what, what could be termed paid vacation, and I can draw, you know, two thirds of my salary or whatever, people are going to be doing that. Now, I, I understand that you've got to qualify and you have to have one of these different qualifying things, bonding with a new child, caring for a seriously old loved one. All of these are, are noble sorts of situations. But is it the government's response to, to take care of that? I mean, I, let, me, let me talk personally about something. I think if you're a longtime listener, you know, I several years ago, I, I lost my first wife to cancer. And, and, and when, when, I, when I, I took, I worked through that tried to help her out. And I think she would tell you that I, I did a pretty good job of that. And I would take a vacation day here and there. I'd take a sick day here and there. But it didn't go. To, it didn't occur to me to go to my employer and say, I, I think you need to pay my salary for, for 12 weeks. Would it have been nice? Well, well, fine. But I mean, I, I used vacation. I used other things to try to do that. I understand why this has an appeal. Believe me, I, I get it as, as much as anybody. I understand why this is a nice thing. I just don't think you can have the government force it on a yearly basis. You leave it up to the private sector, and then they they can decide. Now, some people are saying, and I get this, Jeff. In, in many you know many European countries, that this is we, we have this. Well, okay, but we have all sorts of other stuff in in European countries that we don't have here that you can argue, you know, works or doesn't work. We we have this socialized system of medicine in a lot of the European countries. Some people think it's the greatest thing since canned beer. I don't happen to be in that particular – I don't see – I don't happen to be in that particular boat. In Europe also, you have massive taxes. See, that, that that's the thing. You know, If you look at what people take home from their earnings in many European countries, what you'll find is that they are paying enormous amounts of money to the government in order to, uh, again, provide these different types of services. Well, that's the fundamental question, and I, I think you know, that's what you have here. You have Joe Biden trying to move us towards, again, this idea of, of socialization, the, the socialist sort of country, we're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of you from cradle to grave and everything in between. I'm not against, you know, paid leave. I, I think that that's, that's wonderful if the employer offers it. I'm against 225 B as in billion dollars and probably a lot more that we don't know how to do this. Jeff, so um, how did we all manage before these giveaways? Really, somehow we survived. We found a way. We raised our kids and paid our bills. Am I wrong? No, you're you're not wrong. Jeff, I think it would make much more sense to encourage short-term disability insurance to cover more life events. When I had my first child, I paid a nominal amount to disability and then got 60% of my wage when I was off. Yes. Yes, see that's an outstanding point. I know some people just don't don't deal with this type of stuff, but that's always one of the keys for many employers for a nominal amount of money and really it is a nominal amount of money they will offer you you know you can buy in for the short-term disability policies and the longer-term disability policies and by the way i highly encourage people to do that because that's for a lot of these different types of situations but that's all a question of personal responsibility you end up making that choice um so that's it um jeff i am retired 
However, FML was not automatic year after year. It was based on how many hours you worked the previous year. Well, at least my understanding of the Biden proposal is it, it's an annual it's available annually. Um, Jeff, free, free, free. If the past year hasn't shown how people will take advantage of unemployment, this will be the icing on the cake. Many companies are short-staffed now. Imagine what would happen if employees didn't have to work a quarter of the year. It's a grand appeal, but the government cannot keep spending money that we don't have. And by the way, I mean, it's, again, I don't think it's just going to be the government because um, – you know, it, when Biden was talking about it last night, he was talking about, OK, well, we're, we're again, we're going to tax the rich, which which sounds easy. We're going to tax the rich. We're going to get all this money from the rich. Well, OK, good good luck with that. But many of the other people who I think have been pur- purporting this and pass, you know, arguing for this are a little bit more realistic. And they're saying we can't pay for this exclusively with tax increases, at least not on the quote unquote wealthy. Um, what we need to do is we also need to raise revenue from, again, payroll taxes and things like that, which means just like unemployment, they're going to put it on the back of the employers. And, and what what is that going to do? You know, so if the employers have to contribute more money to fund this sort of proposal, the employers are going to have to figure out, okay, how are we going to pay for the workers that we need to replace the people who are going on leave because they're having kids? It's 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 going to radically change America. And I'm not saying paid family leave is a bad thing. I'm just saying I think that this is a matter that individual employers should be deciding whether they want to offer it or not. And employees, you take that into consideration, you know, what the programs are, what the benefits are when you decide if you want to go to work for a company or not. Back with more in a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> It's about time. Over the last couple of years, there's been this huge debate going on between, well, the, the state elections commission and, and local registrars about what, what you do with the voting lists. I am, I'm not a guy who thinks that you need to make it more difficult to vote. And I, I'm, and I understand I irritate some of you when I say that I, I don't have a, a problem with like a lot of the early voting things that we do. I think that, you know, for, uh, political parties need to figure out how they can maximize and get their voters out as opposed to just trying to, you know, deny people the ability to make easy votes. I, I feel that strongly. But at the same time, if you're going to do that, you have to make sure that the voting rolls are up to date and that they are accurate. As we have talked about you know, several times, in Wisconsin, we've done a lousy job of doing that. There are like a hundred, almost 200,000 people who are listed on voting rolls all across the state who in all likelihood have moved or they've died or whatever. And their names should not be on the voting rolls. They need to be taken off. And so Wisconsin has a law that says, all right, once once you get notice, once the officials get notice that somebody might have moved, like they've changed their registration with the Department of Motor Vehicles, they've changed their address with the post office, etc. If they've done that and then they haven't voted an address after a period of time, they're supposed to be taken off the rolls. Now, there's some people that don't want to see that happen. Oh, this is dis- disenfranchisement. Well, to me, it's, it's, it's just only common sense. So the update today is apparently the State Elections Commission has finally 
agreed to start the process of removing almost as many, they say 188,000 people from the rolls because they haven't cast ballots in the last four years. So what they're going to do is they're going to send out postcards to the, the addresses that the people have, and they'll have a period of time to return the postcards. And if they don't, their names finally get removed from the, the voting rolls. If they show up at the next election, well, then they're just going to have to re-register. But for most, if not all, of these 188,000 people, they're not going to show up because that's not where they vote anymore, period. This is long, long, long overdue. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, I, I admit... I do not know what to make of this story in its entirety other than, number one, the optics are very bad. Number two, where there is smoke, there is fire. And number three, I I love the response by the person involved because it invokes the theory of of when you're wrong, be strong. I am talking about the story involving uh, long-term Democrat Congressman Ron Kind, who represents the La Crosse area, and, and most of the most of the congressional seats in Wisconsin are, are not competitive. I mean, the, the, Gwen Moore represents Milwaukee County, essentially. No, no Republican is ever going to win Milwaukee County. Um, similarly, you have uh, Scott Fitzgerald, who represents the, the, walk, the, the surrounding areas, Waukesha County. No, no Dem- it's one of the most Republican uh, congressional districts in the country. So the, most of the districts are, are not competitive. Ron Kine's district, which is in La Crosse, is very, very competitive. Matter of fact, he, I don't want to say almost lost, but he came close to losing last time. Um, he was, got a very real challenge from a Republican named Derek Van Orden, who's running against him again. And it's going to be a, a tight, it's going to be a tough battle um, two years from now. I'm not predicting that, in, you know, in next November that Kind is going to lose, but it, it's going to be a challenge. So anyhow, here is the story. Ron Kind from La Crosse, uh, owns owns a building. I assume he owns a bunch of buildings, and that's fine. You know, that's he, so he owns a building. As it turns out, now this is the report. I will share it with you as it appears in the uh, Madison paper and the Lacrosse paper. All right, a, a Fox News report published Wednesday details that Asian Sunny Massage, formerly known, did you hear the story, Grill? You follow this? Okay, get this. Okay, so Asian Sunny Massage. Formerly Impression Spa, located on Pearl Street in downtown La Crosse, that's kind of the, the, the main section of downtown, has been featured on a number of websites linked to ads promoting illegal sex work. Okay, so why are we talking about Asian Sunny Massage? Well, the building is owned and rented out by Congressman Kind according to his personal financial statements. Um, let's see. He responded to the La Crosse Tribune report. As a special former special prosecutor, I take any allegation of wrongdoing seriously. But that's not what this is. This is a baseless smear rooted in racism and insinuations. Um, Tawny, I assume this is his wife, Tawny and I have never received any complaint from the community or police about this small business. So he's on the offensive. He's strong about this. This is, this is nothing but, but racism. Um, how dare they accuse me of any wrongdoing and they're picking on this like Asian massage business. All right. And he goes on to say, because of Derek Van Orden, who is Republican challenger, and his allies pushing lies, local police are increasing patrols to ensure the safety of this Asian-owned small business. So, I mean, 
kind is playing all the different cards there. It's playing like the race card, and he's playing the concerns that people legitimately have about crimes against Asians, etc. He goes on to say, in light of what has happened across the country, and especially in Atlanta last month, it is irresponsible, dangerous, and despicable of Derek Van Orden, again, his opponent, to slander this local business owner and put law enforcement in harm's way. So, I mean, kind is playing all the different cards that are out there. Interestingly, though, in his statement, he never addresses the fundamental question of, hey, your your rent, this business is in your building, and they've got ads on all these adult massage sites. You know, what what's going on with that? Um, let's see, the... They start to, I mean, the media starts to do some research. Posts on the salon's Facebook page, which still uses the name Impression Spa, show screenshots from apparent advertisements the spa has made on websites known for promoting sex work. Okay. Several posts show a screenshot of an advertisement for the salon on a sort list using photos of Asian women, a site similar to Craigslist that has an adult category that lists escorts, body rubs, adult jobs, and more. I have no idea what an adult job is, and my wife is probably thrilled to hear that. I don't know, but it... it, it I, I don't know. I, I get a massage every once in a while, but I, the the people I go to, they don't advertise that. The salon is also promoted on other illicit sli- sites. One advertisement promoted the grand opening of the salon on April 18th, 2018 on Body Rubs Maps, a site that self-describes it as the best alternative to Backpage, a former website that was seized by the federal government in 2018 for servicing, serving as a marketplace for buying and selling sex. The salon is also featured on Rub Maps, which USA Today described as Yelp for sex spas. Um, and then the story, it's unclear if the salon pays to be featured on these sites or what the um, origins of these advertisements are. Um, so, again, I, I don't exactly know what to make of this, and I certainly have no personal knowledge one way or the other as to what is going on at this particular massage parlor that is located in a building owned by the congressman. I, I, I don't know. I, I do think it's a, a legitimate question that, you know, if, if your business is featured on all these different sort of websites ad- advertising certain types of, I don't know, services that might otherwise be found to be in violation of the law in the state of Wisconsin. Now, I, I understand, for example, in New York City, they, they, they no longer say that they're going to prosecute for example, you know, massage parlors for doing stuff that is illegal. But we're not at that point in Wisconsin now. And I'm not suggesting that the congressman has any sort of knowledge if this, in fact, was going on. But I did find his response to be kind of interesting that it's like, oh, this, this is this is just an attack on, on this small business without addressing the fundamental question of, okay, well, why is this business in a building that you own? Why, where are all these, why are all these advertisements out there on all these websites offering these type of of services? I mean, I think that that is a reasonable question to address. And at least at this point in time, the congressman doesn't appear to have any interest in describing that or answering that. Instead, he's taken the approach of, oh, this is just nothing but a baseless smear. And it, it might be that there's there's nothing to this. But I do think, again, it's a fair question to say, all right, if you're not offering these types of services, 
why why is your place featured on all these different sorts of of websites and if that's the case how do you not know about any of that? Reasonable questions. Ron Kine doesn't have any answers, at least at this point in time. But um, people are certainly following this. Regardless, optics, bad. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Is it a bubble? If you are thinking of buying or selling a house right now, how much longer will the merry-go-round go on? Let me explain. Typically, if you can get a, a in, in the housing market, what they will say is if if the price, the value of your home appreciates like three to five percent in in a given year, that that's a good thing. If if the value of the house goes up three to five percent, okay, in February, which is the last month that I have numbers, the exist the median sale price in an existing home in the U.S. was three hundred thirteen grand. That was the median. That's up nearly sixteen percent from a year earlier. Now again, go back. Normal growth three to five percent. That that that's good. Now you don't always get that, but that's good. Okay, year to year from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one in February, sixteen percent. So housing prices are going through the roof. There's a story they just posted on JS Online, which which localizes the story. Wisconsin home sales market is red hot. Buyers scramble to outbid each other, offer $20,000 over asking price, scrap inspections. And it tells a story about this couple who had what sounds like a, a starter home that they bought Paid 115 grand for ranch style home, fenced in yard, western edge of Milwaukee in 20, 2012. They didn't put a lot of money into the house. They fixed up the fence and put in a new water heater and air conditioning. But it's not like they completely gutted the house and spent lots of money. So they buy it for 115 grand. They put it on the market. The house was shown more than 50 times over three days. By Monday, they had 24 offers you know 24 offers on the house the guy thought maybe the property would sell for $150,000 so that's what they were kind of thinking realtor said no 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 it you're 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 too low put it put it up for like essentially $170,000 and then what what happened is so 170 grand for a house they bought for 115 admittedly 8 or 9 years ago um the house ended up selling for $20,000 over asking price no home inspection contingency no home inspection contingency so the buyers are taking the risk that there's some problem with mold there's that there's not some problem with mold in the house or whatever no appraisal contingency meaning that the, the buyers can't get out if the bank comes in and says this this place isn't worth $190,000 it's only worth $160,000 so um, it just but it's like they're falling all over themselves. Uh, the realtor said it's competitive, it's driving up prices, and that at some point in time it, it's unsustainable. Their realtor says at the beginning of the year they would write offers around 105% of asking price. Recently she's seeing that winning bids are around 115% of asking price. It hasn't mattered what's on the market. It's selling. Housing prices in Wisconsin up 10.3% statewide. Like I say, in a normal year nationwide, 3.5%, 16% in February nationwide. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is going on here? 
And, and it's I, I, I guess I, I bring this up because I have I have some friends who are looking at putting their their house on the market, and they're kind of deciding the right time to do it. But they see what's going on here, and they've got a really nice house, and it's well kept up, and it's going to be at a price point that I think is appealing. And they're trying to figure out what that price point is, and and how long is this going to continue? Is it a bubble? Or is this something that's going to, you know, continue with this huge run up over the next, you know, few years? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess my take on this, and I would be curious if you have bought or sold or are planning to buy or sell a house in the very near future, you know, what it is that you're looking at. I think right now we're, we're in what I'm going to describe as, as a bubble. I think because of COVID, you had lots of stuff that just shut down. People who were considering moving kind of put it on the back burner. We don't want to move in the middle of a pandemic. And now as we're coming out of that pandemic, you're seeing, I think you're seeing people, okay, we were ready to move. Um, now we're going to put the house on, on the market. I think you're going to see more. I, I think there's demand for people who want to move who's delayed, but I think there's going to be more inventory coming on the market. I think this might be one of the best times in a long time, maybe decades, to try to to sell a house, to buy a house that don't know except the fact that you're probably presumably it's your first time home buyer. You got to sell your first house to buy your your second larger house or whatever. I think this is a great time, but you know if I were to look at my crystal ball. I don't think I'd be delaying too much. I mean, I think for people who are considering selling, if the idea is let's hold on for an extra six months and see how all this plays out, I I think that might come back to bite you. I don't think that there's a better time to put a house on the market for sale. Again, assuming you're pricing it reasonably and it's it's not a complete loser home and it's in a a neighborhood where you you don't have to worry about gunshots every night or, or, or maybe even in that neighborhood. But I think for desirable homes that are reasonably priced, these stories are correct. You're, they're, they're just flying off the market, and I don't see how this can last. don't know when it's going to end, but I sure wouldn't be delaying. 855-616-1620, what has been your experience? We discuss. And this is Jeff Wagner. We're actually going to do something I almost never do. We're going to continue the segment over the, the news, because at least for one more segment at the top of the next hour, because I, I think this is this is fascinating. The real estate prices are through the roof. Maybe at an un, I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like this in my lifetime. It is a, it's an incredible time to sell a house. If you're buying a house, you're, you're paying just absolutely top dollar, and you're competing with all sorts of other people to get it. Now, the good news is if you have a house that you're selling, you're going to benefit from that. But what's going on, and is this a, a bubble? Eric in Caledonia. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hello. As I explained to your screener, I'm a real estate appraiser, and I haven't seen anything like this in the over 20 years that I've been in this line of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen hot markets before. But I haven't seen it so slated to the property owner's side. Uh, there's just an incredible lack of supply. Right. And normally, I think you would see in this situation, home builders start throwing up properties everywhere. But with the cost of construction, even right. that is prohibitive. Right. So you have lumber prices that are... Through the roof, 100% yeah. 100% above from where they were a couple right, of years right. ago, too. If you can so get I it because of cutback. a bubble. What do you think? Well, what do you think? How does this? How does this? What do you, for, let me ask you this first of all. What What do you think is causing it? I mean, I mean, I understand the the simple answer is that there's not enough inventory in the market, supply and demand. But why Why do you think there's not as much inventory as there typically would be? 
That's a little bit of a mystery, other than perhaps maybe COVID just scared every a lot right. of people into sitting still. Right. And then you know, a conversation I had with a mortgage officer, I think it's kind of feeding on itself, where people are like, all right, well, right. You know, we're coming out of this, now it's time to sell, but if you're going to sell, then you also have to buy a new right. property. Right, and, and you so, got to expect that. Yeah, so you're, you know, yeah. People are just afraid, like, okay, we can sell this and we have to move in a month. Are we going to be able to find the kind of house we want that we can afford within a month? Right. No, and I think it's just caused a lot of people just to panic and hold still. Right. No, thanks for calling. And, and, and I guess that, that's the question. How long is that going to happen? So, man, we are, like I said, we're going to carry this topic over because I'm interested in stories from the front. Have you been through this or considering selling your house? Have you just sold your house? Have you bought a house recently? What, what's, is the market really? As incredible as it seems. Um, Pete in Hartford. Pete, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Pete. Uh, it's for Heartland, but that's all right. Uh, that's anyway, what my note says. Uh, I did. I misread it. Heartland. <laughs> that's, that's all right. I have a question at the end of what I'm going to tell you briefly about my experience. But uh, I remodeled my house, and uh, I ended up moving in with my then fiancé, and we got married. And I did not even put my house on the market. Two realtors approached me. They knew I was remodeling, and there wasn't even a price on my house. And it was uh, more than I had hoped for. And mm-hmm. just to give you a little idea, and, I, you know, of course, the, the real estate uh, commission was a lot lower because I didn't even have it on market. I wasn't even done with it, but it was about a month into finishing it and everything finished on the last day but uh um so that's there's definitely a supply and demand problem there but i have a question for you and i I was in north carolina with my brother by the way i'm 63 and this is the first time in my life that i sold home at the right time (laughs) (laughs) understood okay i got coming up on the clock on the top of the hour what's your question yes my question is what's happening in florida texas north carolina and Tennessee, believe it or not, people are moving there in droves, yep. and they're moving. A lot of people are moving from Illinois and the, the actually the Democratic states, Pennsylvania and New York. What's going to happen to those prices? The prices of those properties. Right. I mean, it just seems like the bubble's going to burst. I, okay. I agree fair, with you totally. Right. Fair enough. Thanks, Nicole. We're, we're going to continue this for one more segment. I, let me cogitate, and I'll, I'll give you my theory of what's going to happen um, after the news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Let me reset the topic. I just find this to be such an interesting thing, and it affects so so many of us. If you're looking to buy your, your first home, you're probably out there finding you know, sticker shock going on. You're, Man, I can't believe what, what's going on with prices. If you're looking to sell your home, you're going, wow, th- this is great. The price of my house has just gone through the roof. The problem is you have to live somewhere. So when you go to buy a different home, you're, you're paying these increased prices. The, the numbers are, are just nuts. I was, um, okay, in February, and again, typically, and there, there's no real 
it varies, I guess, from community to community. But but typically, people in, in real estate will tell you if you get a three to five percent annual increase in the value of your property, that that's doing that's doing good. In in February, nationwide property values were up nearly sixteen percent. That was year to year, and, and so it, it's just going through the roof. And there's a story on JS Online talking about the, this couple that that bought a, a starter home for like a hundred and ten grand, and now they're they're originally were saying, well, we're hoping to get 159 and the realtor said, no, put it on the market for 170 and, and they got like almost 200000 for it, and they had 24 bid. I mean, there's just an incredible thing that's going on there. Part of it, I, I think, is supply and demand simply because of COVID. I think there were all sorts of people who just made the decision, we're, we're not going to move. We're, we're going to stay put. We don't want to move in the middle of a pandemic, and so that created a huge shortage what we're discussing is, is this a bubble? How long is this going to last? Right now, um, if you're if you're thinking about selling, I, I can't imagine that there's going to be a better time. But but does the music stop at some point in time? 855-616-1620. Art in Waukesha. Art, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Uh, well, it, uh, being a realtor for the last 20 years and with a major real estate company like First Weber, we... We have seen this uh, before the pandemic. It, there was an article in the, one of the trade magazines saying that builders nationwide would have been building 20% more homes if they would have had the labor. Mm-hmm. And that was before pandemic hit. And now with the lack of building supplies or reasonable right. uh, prices on building supplies, I really don't see that straightening out too soon, uh, both the labor and the material. So it's not a bubble, definitely. I mean, supply and demand is not a bubble. And the stories that you are repeating, there's, there's more incredible stories. Every <laughs> one of the agents that would get on the phone could tell you where there were many more offers much more over uh, asking price. I mean, right now the rule is is asking price is basically the starting point. Okay. And okay, many so are, are cash. Right. So walk me through this. Let's say that I, you know, I'm I'm your client. I'm looking to buy a, a home, and I'm, I'm looking in the, the $200,000 range. For just kind of for sake of argument, we're going out and looking at houses. You say, Jeff, there's this house going on the market. It's going on the market Thursday. I've got you the first showing. We're going through this. All right, I, we, we walk through. I say, well, right, it, it's kind of okay. What should I do? What, what, what do you then tell me? Write an offer on the spot? Well, first, it's not going to matter because most real estate companies and realtors are – are aware of what the market is, and most of them are listing on a certain day, Monday, let's say a Monday or Tuesday, and then they are saying right in MLS that uh, the offers will be presented on Saturday, and therefore they're allowing all those uh, agents to bring their buyers, which is a very, you know, you at least have a shot at it, uh, but so they're essentially Honestly, conducting seller, an auction. It's kind of like yeah, an auction. A seller would a seller would be foolish, really, uh, most of the time, to accept that offer in that first couple of hours because 
You can do better by waiting. So there's so much demand out there. Yeah, and all these people need a home, and and all the cash offers, they don't have to have it appraised. Right. And so now they're the new comparables, and so the bar is just being raised higher and higher. You and, think, and you think and this I is going to last for the foreseeable future? It's going to last for a long time. Yeah, Thanks for calling. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, I, and I, I understand. I mean, obviously, it is a, a, certainly a function of supply and demand because of the new housing thing. I get that. Also, I mean, I do think COVID delayed all sorts of stuff but that's kind of that's sort of interesting if you're in the market how do you get in and when do you get in mark on wind lake mark you're in wtmj good afternoon afternoon um i'm a financial advisor about 280 families i will tell you that every single client when COVID hit last year in april may all they called me for was for money for remodels nobody decided to sell everybody just decided to stay put and find if they could a good contractor we have two issues right now uh, number one, contractors can't find good labor, so you have a labor shortage, so builders can't build good quality houses because they can't find anybody to work. Number two, the cost of materials has tripled, I believe, since last year, at least for wood. So people that want to build a 22-, 1,200-square-foot house now, where it used to be 240 280 bucks a square foot, you could be spending three or 400 dollars per square foot now so you are better off staying in your existing home mm-hmm. doing the thing that you want to do and almost all of my clients that's all they've done they've redone their cabinetry their flooring they've done the outside they put right. on new siding and roofs made it into their forever home and the problem that you then have is there's not enough housing supply there's not enough housing supply then you add on top of it there aren't enough houses getting built because the cost has just gone through the roof I say we're going to save this for at least another two years. I've got one child right now trying to buy a house. If you try to buy a $200,000 house right now, you got to write an offer for at least 240 to 260 to have a shot at some of these houses, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> right. When the market does fall out, right. how many people are going to be underwater like they were back in 07, 08? So I think you have people that are, A, giving up. Some people are giving up buying, B, there's just not enough housing out there and see people have made their homes their their palaces right now right now interesting you know if, when i when i bought my first house which would have been 1988 it was actually kind of the opposite situation we we saw the house fell in love with it wanted it but it was it was way too much money i mean just 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 way too much money and what had happened is the family that was selling the house they had an offer like the first or second day, and this, of course, I understand the markets change a lot. They had an offer the first or second day from an out-of-state buyer who offered them close to what they were asking, but not quite. And they figured, well, okay, we're, we're going to reject this because if we got this like in the first day, we'll, we'll get a whole bunch more. Now, it was a different time. This is years and years ago. And what, what happened was the out-of-state buyer was willing to pay this. It, it, the, the house was, was overpriced for what they were asking. So it sat on the market, sat on the market all through the summer and through the early part of the fall. Winter's coming on. And, you know, we went back in and we said, look, we, we love this house, but we can't afford what what you're asking now what we can do is we can th- this is how much we can pay we can close in 30 days and we ended up getting a, a great deal on it so back then 
you, you, you pass up the sure money and it ends up costing you clearly a, a different world right now. Bottom line of all this is um, it, it's just it's an interesting time. There, there's no question about it. And I, it's it's partly the effect of COVID, and I think a number of other people have hit on some of the other stuff as well, the, the lack of new home construction. Right now, it is definitely, no question, the seller's market. These stories about how you, you put the house on the market, and then you say, okay, everybody who wants to bid on it, you know, we'll... We'll, we'll we'll look at them on Saturday and then we'll we'll choose. It's just um, it, it's an amazing time and and it's it's good for the sellers. Not sure how it is for the buyers, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The, the thing I I do wonder about, and I guess I'll leave it to smarter people than me to figure this out, but. I guess my concern with what's going on in the real estate market is whether or not the, the prices of homes are artificially inflated. By that I mean, as we've been talking about for the last half hour, you have a shortage of supply, and you know, and you've got incredible demand, and so people whose houses may objectively, in a normal market, be worth two hundred fifty thousand dollars. To get them, people have to spend three hundred thousand. Again, in, in my example, and so I mean, yes, I understand. Right now, the house is worth three hundred thousand. But when when things cool off, you know what's going to happen is and is the the price of that home going to go back to more normal where it would be more normally? And it's it's really a two hundred fifty thousand dollar house that somebody had to pay three hundred thousand dollars for. And then what's going to happen to the people who've like taken out the mortgages and things like that? And when I talk about a bubble, that that's kind of the concern. Are people? Going to be, have overextended themselves, and are suddenly are they going to find themselves in a situation where, okay, I, I own a house that I paid three hundred ten thousand dollars for in a red hot real estate market in you know two thousand twenty one, and now it's two thousand twenty three, and things have evened out more, and and now the house is only worth two hundred fifty thousand. I guess that's. That's the concern. I don't have an answer for it. And, you know, people are going to have to decide. It's, let me just give you a couple of texts. Lots of people have been waiting in. A tulip mania. Yeah, that's the reference to, like, the, the tulips in the Netherlands. Jeff, my home, my son is a first-time home buyer. He's been looking for a house in either Ozaki or Washington County in the two hundred fifty to $300,000 range for the past six months. It's crazy. There have been several houses that they have called on a few hours after going on the market that already have 10-plus showings by that time. Sellers are allowing a certain period of time to look at all the offers instead of first come, first serve. He's pre-approved for financing, but he's had multiple officers refused for up to thirty grand over asking with only an inspection contingency. He has now decided to wait for a while. Um, Jeff, interest rates have remained low and rents are increasing. Many can actually lower their money monthly housing payments by buying. Well, it's true about interest rates. You're, I mean, you you can get, what does my friend Brian Wickard say, you know, with all the right stuff, I mean, you, you can get interest rates below 3%. Um, when, I, when I bought that house I was talking about in 1988, I, I think the standard interest rate was like 10 or 11%. You had to take out, to make it affordable, you had to take out an adjustable rate mortgage and then hope to refinance within five years. Jeff, my friend is a home inspector. I talked to him the other day, figuring business must be really booming for him, and he told me that actually a lot of people aren't even bothering with inspections in this market because the sellers don't want an offer that has an inspection contingency. Jeff, I'm trying to build, but my contractor will not 
put a hole in the ground until lumber prices come down. It's crazy around here right now. Um, Jeff, what I'm afraid of is wait for the municipalities to decide to reassess everybody's home for higher taxes. Well, I think there's that's probably the reality as well um, that's going on there. Jeff, my husband and I sold our Florida home in January, didn't have it on the market. A couple from Vermont came by and asked if we were interested in selling, which we were. Um, they walked through it twice, gave us exactly what we wanted. Crazy times. Thank you for your show. Well, thank you for listening, uh, Jill. Jeff, we bought our house last February and moved in in March. We thought we paid a lot for it at the time, but we didn't have a lot of options for what we wanted. We just refinanced yesterday for a lower rate and less uh, a private mortgage insurance. We were told by the pool guy that we could sell it for $30,000 more easy. Don't know if it's true or not. I think it's a lot to do with low rates and high demand. I think this will go on for at least another year, but there's still just not a lot out there that's decent. People will continue to overpay to get um, better rates. Um, Jeff, my wife and I just bought a starter home this month in a neighboring town. He's from Marquette, Michigan. In a neighboring town for 122.5. The asking price was 108 and our offer was only accepted because we were first-time buyers and could close quicker. The market is brutal because if our home was in Marquette, you would be looking at north of $200,000 for that same home. You know, one of our, our callers right before the break had posed the question of, you know, what about, you know, real estate? If, if the real estate market is like this in in Wisconsin, you know, what's it like in some of these areas, like, like for example, Florida or, or Texas or things like that? I'll, all I know is I have a, I have lots of friends who who live in Florida who are really really smart um, when it comes to money, much much smarter than than I am, or at least they have a lot more, lot more money than I am. And and what almost everyone will tell you is that in, especially as baby boomers, us baby boomers get ready to retire, one of the things are that that weather is a huge factor. Taxes are a factor as well, and all that sort of stuff. And in some of the desirable warmer weather areas, they they think that there's that there's just going to be just continued demand as more and more people, like I say, get ready to retire and they start to say, okay, well, I'm I'm done with I'm done with the the winters in Marquette, Michigan, for example, and I, and I want to go someplace warmer, and especially if they've got some dough to do it. At least the people I know say that in some, if you've got a desirable place in if you've got a place in a desirable community in you know some of these places that, that the property values are going to be doing nothing but going up for the foreseeable future now th- don't know about that but it is certainly interesting times and if if you're a seller appreciating the fact that you still have to some be, go somewhere you have somewhere to go that you have to go after you sell the place but putting that aside for a second it's definitely a seller's market out there interesting conversation all right when we come back we're going to find out what john and melissa and greg have on their minds for wisconsin's afternoon news please stick around